All of us, I guess all of us, love music. Music can bring out the best or the worst in us. When, uh, <laughs> when you, when you, man, I, I remember Jake Hess used to talk about how churches, this is back in the 50s, churches canceled them as a quartet, the uh, statesman quartet. They were, they were the best of the best, you know, and back in the 50s, they had their own TV show, if you can believe that. And they used to do some snazzy gospel songs, probably mild to today's standards. But on one particular song that they did on their TV show, it was always gospel music, never was any secular music. Well, they had a guy to come out and do a little interlude with a happy clarinet. Man, he just clarinetted this interlude between the two verses. And churches just started canceling them right and left because they had a clarinet that played in, uh, in their music. I've known people, <laughs> I've known people who, if they came in and saw either, either or or both, a guitar amp or drums, they would stop cold, turn around and go out. <laughs> you know what? I've seen it. I've seen it. Oh, me. Music stirs us up some way or another. You go into the, I remember one of my earliest memories I think I was 10 years old, eight or 10, before I ever was taken to the dentist. And you never forget the smell of a dentist's office. It's unique. Neither do you forget the music that they play over the loudspeakers. I guess it's supposed to Calm you down. Music by Muzak. Churches, of course, have music programs. Pay a lot of money for it. We love to sing. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Grocery stores will play music. We have frequented Pat and I, from time to time, a particular Chinese restaurant that, for as long as I could remember, always were playing Frank Sinatra kind of stuff in there. And last couple of times, it was some kind of rap or something. I don't know. It was a little different. Made me eat my food faster. Uh, <laughs> And I guess that's what the, gets you out of the booth so the next people can come in. All over the world, every culture has music. Doesn't matter where it is in the world. It's, uh, 
It may sound strange to some people. Our music may sound strange to them, but it's all over the world in every culture. It's part of our existence, music. David, in making the arrangements for temple worship, arranged for music and singers, a choir, an orchestra. In, in their culture, it, you know, it wouldn't be as complete of an orchestra, I don't suppose, as what we think of today. But he arranged for professional musicians to be leaders in temple worship. He laid the plans and made the arrangements, organized the effort, and then when the temple was built, these particular families who had been known to be musicians who were Levites were the priests who would attend to the music in temple worship. You don't ever think about this, I bet you. But when you go to the temple in the, in, the New, in the Old Testament, and I suppose in Jesus' day, because it was part of, it was part of the order of the priesthood. There were 20, we're going to see there are 24 orders of the worship leaders who were Levites. They rotated. It was part of what they did. So when people would go to the temple, there would be very inspirational music in the temple. And how the music was to be done and so forth. We'll see all that here in First Chronicles chapter 25. Such a, a major part of the overall worship experience in the temple. So I, I could see how when someone would come to the temple and the priest would help that person with his very personal offering, his sacrifice. Something that he had done that was wrong. Something that he might have done that he couldn't remember. You know, they had all these provisions for sacrifices. Whatever it was, it didn't matter how bad he had been or whatever. The music was playing, and it was to accompany his act of worship and sacrifice, everything about it. That was arranged by David, the king. So let's think about that as we look. This, about all we can do is look at the names and make a point here and there in this part of uh, First Chronicles. Then David and the generals of the army separated for the service of the sons of Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun. He-Man. He-Man. You ever, my boys used to watch He-Man. I have the power. Haman, Jeduthun, who prophesied 
Now that's a good word. It's an interesting word. At the root of prophecy, it's the same word that you would use of Elijah or Isaiah, whatever. Same word, same verb. But at the root of the meaning of the word was in the declaration that was being made, there was religious instruction. So in the case of temple worship, the leaders of the worship through their music would prophesy. They would offer instruction, worship instruction, praise. We're going to see how it's divided here. Prayer instruction, exhilarating music. David wrote so many psalms which have instructions at the top of it, of them, regarding how the music is to be played, if it's doleful and sad, or if it's happy, bright, or if it's contemplative, those instructions are given. But he said, this is for the conductor. And you, some of them, he even tells them how, what kind of instruments to use. So many of the Psalms are written, the Psalms which, turn, which were worship songs, were written by David, some by other of these Levites, and some of them, many of them are listed in the Psalms themselves. We've seen them. So these, these Levites would be inspired to write a psalm of praise, and it's included in the Psalms in our Bible. The sons of Asaph, Haman, and Jedithan, who prophesied, with harps, with lyres, and with cymbals. The blessed, holy, inspired word of God tells us that when a person leads or worships in music, His prophesying can include an instrument. So here it says he prophesies with his instrument or with their instrument. And the number of those men expert in their work according to the service was. So these were the best musicians in, uh, in Israel in, among the Levites the best among the Levites. And the Levites were a very large, numerous tribe. A particular group were known, and this was their job. So these sons would be raised in learning and playing and presenting music in the temple. They would go through their training and they would achieve a certain point where they became experts and then they were allowed to participate in the group that was leading the worship in the temple. Now, 
You see, all right, let's look at these three guys whose three families started this thing out. Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun. Now suppose Jeduthun had a son and he had attained the age where he could be considered for public service in, in the worship. Well, my guess is you had to pass some kind of audition in this thing because David would see to it that only the best of the best could offer this music in worship in the temple because the temple housed to the heart of the Israelite the presence of Yahweh. So it has to be the best of the best. Now, the beautiful thing of this is, if the son of Jeduthun lost out in the audition to his second cousin, he couldn't move his letter. <laughs> he was always a Levite. I have pastored. I have, I don't know how to say this. I have been a pastor where people were so engaged in what they did, if they only got to sing solos on Sunday nights and not on Sunday mornings, they'd move their letter. I'm not kidding you. I don't know, that's getting mad. Well, the beautiful thing here is Jeduthun will just have to tell his son, you got to go back and work harder. Practice. Or he could say, you just ain't no good. And he, would, he then would become a teacher. Is that what they say? Those who can't teach, that's an awful thing to say. Look at this. Now, there were different kinds of harps and lyres. They would have... It's like a guitar. You know, the, a bigger guitar has a lower tone. So I'm sure they would have had different sizes. They would have been that intelligent. They would have to, of course, harmonize with the other instruments. So they had cymbals. That's a percussion instrument. You know, you've heard cymbals. You know what they are. And they had stringed instruments. And then it tells them that. Now, the beauty of music in worship goes all the way back to heaven before the fallen angels had fallen. There's this passage in Ezekiel 28 that speaks of a fifth cherub. There are still four, four who bear up the Melchabah chariot throne of the Son of God. There was a fifth who was their commander. He was their leader. He was the chief cherub. Awesome creature. And he had a covering. He had a robe that is beautifully described 
in Ezekiel's writing. He says, your pipes and your tabrets were fitted in you when you were made. And every precious stone was your covering. It's an intricate, it describes an intricate robe of the highest quality of, I guess, gold. But it had settings for mountings of heaven's precious stones. And where those came together and the stone would sit would be a space through which wind could flow. And the elongation of the pieces of the robe would be such that they would be like pipes, like a pipe organ or whatever kind of wind instrument. So he, Daystar in his unfallen state was a glorious creature of worship and heaven's most beautiful music. Now the Ruach is the wind, that's God the Spirit. And those kinds of instruments are no good unless wind passes through them. They don't make any sound. The precious stones would have been no good unless light shined on it. Now this was Daystar. He was perfect in beauty and in wisdom. He was, he was in and of himself an orchestra in heaven. So that all he had to do was move about and the wind of heaven would pass through the pipes and the tabrays of his covering. And in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, the beautiful stones would reflect the glory of the light and break it down into every imaginable color. So there was a music, music show and a light show all at the same time. And he was like this until iniquity was found in him. Here's the point. The glory of worship music goes all the way back to heaven in the earliest time of creation. And there was one particular being who was arrayed in such a way that he was perfect music. And I'm sure it would instill a sense of worship in all the angels until iniquity was found in him. Now, if the Spirit of God doesn't pass through him and the light of God doesn't shine on him, he's nothing. He, he's no longer day star, he's darkness. He's not what he was created to be. God's sense of appreciation of music in worship 
translates itself all the way into the beginning of the temple, the beginning of the construction of the temple. And these three guys and their families would be the leaders of the worship. Of the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, Asarela, and the sons of Asaph through Asaph, who prophesied according to the direction of the king. David was a master musician. So he started this whole thing off. If you've ever been in the presence of a genius master musician who conducts an orchestra, you will note that he pays attention to every detail. Nothing is lost on him. We had, at, at a previous church, we had an orchestra, and Mr. Music was a brilliant man, and he had a tuner, and every Sunday morning when they came before worship to prepare, he tuned every one of them, a horn, a stringed instrument, whatever. Amanda played the timpani. Until I heard that word, I always called them kettle drums, but they're big, big old things. You have to tune those things. Do you know that? You have to tune them. He would tune those things. And when they played to back up the choir or to accompany the choir, it was just glorious. It was wonderful because every detail had been paid attention to. And then in the directing of the music, if it's a syncopated eighth note, or if it's this, or if it's that, if this kind of rest, or that, everything, all of the practice had been done. And everything was expected to come out just like the music was written, and just like the tuning instrument said should be tuned. And it was good. Now that's just in the imperfections of man. If you could imagine the perfections of God, but if you could then imagine also the place, how they must have felt in what they understood to be the place where the very presence of God was. Everything perfectly tuned, the type of music, the way it's to be played, the instruments, and David initiated the conducting. Obviously that was, that leadership was passed down, but it started according to the direction of the king. Now, it keeps, uh, it, it, we keep going here and Jeduthun's sons, Gedaliah, Zeri, Isaiah, Ashabia, Marathia, six of them. Beside their father, Jeduthun with the harp, who prophesied with songs of thanksgiving and praise to Yahweh. All right. So included in the order of worship was a special genre of songs to prophesy, to give religious instruction through music 
that were songs of thanksgiving and praise to Yahweh. Now, there's another. We did this. I was in an all-state chorus one, one year in high school, and we did a, we had a Jewish man as the choir director. Kids from all over the state, I guess 200, 300 in a choir like that. I don't know, at least. We had to go down there and we had to spend two or three days and then the big concert. And there was a Jewish song that had been written. Here, the prophesying was of thanksgiving and praise to Yahweh. That particular song and this Jewish man gave us the history of it and took us all the way back to the time of the kings and the temple and the meaning of the song. And it was a song of war. El Yivne Hagalil. Baruch Yivne Hagalil. And it would start out, it was kind of in a minor key, and it would start out very low. You wouldn't sing very loud. You'd get a little louder. Same words over and over. A little louder. He explained to us that this was the marching Israelite army coming to confront the enemy. They were in distance at first, but they got closer and closer and closer. Music to the Israelite was all about God and his people and what happened under the leadership of God. Here, these guys prophesied with songs of thanksgiving and praise to Yahweh. Of Haman, the sons of Haman, Bukiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Shabul, Jeremot, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliata, Gedalti, and Rum, Rumamti Ezer, Josh Bekesha. Melati, Hotir, and Mahaziot. All these were sons of Haman, the king's seer. In words of Elohim to raise the horn. And Elohim gave Haman 14 sons and three daughters. Now, introduced to the stringed instruments and the cymbals are the horns. And this guy had a special calling from God and his family, the 14 sons, three daughters. All these were alongside their father in song in the house of Yahweh with cymbals, psalteries, and harps for the service of the house of Elohim alongside the king, Asaph, Jejetan, and Heman. And their number with their brethren trained in song to Yahweh, every expert, 288. Now, here we go. It's all names from here on. And the first lot of Asaph came out to Joseph 
Gedaliah, the second, he and his brethren, his sons, 12. The third, Zakur, his sons and his brethren, 12. The fourth, to Israel, his sons and his brethren, 12. The fifth, Nathaniah, and his sons and his brethren, 12. The sixth, Bekuiah, his sons and his brethren, 12. The seventh, Esharila, his sons and his brethren, 12. The eighth, Isaiah, his sons and his brethren, 12. The ninth, Mataniah and his sons and his brethren, 12. The tenth, Shimei, his sons and his brethren, 12. The eleventh, Azarel, his sons and his brethren, 12. The twelfth, Tahashabiah, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the thirteenth, Shubel, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the fourteenth, Mattathiah, and his sons and his uh, brethren, 12. To the fifteenth, to Jeremot, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the sixteenth, to Hananiah, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the seventeenth, to Josh Bechashah, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the eighteenth, to Hanani, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the nineteenth, to Miloti, Miloti, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the twentieth, to Eliata, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the twenty-first, to Hotir, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the twenty-second, to Gedalti, his sons and his brethren, 12. To the twenty-third, to Mahaziot, and his sons and his brethren, 12. And to the twenty-fourth, to Romamti, Ezer, his sons and his brethren, 12. Okay, there's 24 courses of the musical priesthood. Can you see that? So they would rotate. They wouldn't all be there at the same time. They would rotate out. And so they would, they would offer priestly service in music. So every time somebody went to the, well, I'll say most of the time, someone would be at the temple there would be musicians. There would be glorious, wonderful music that they could hear. Now, let's just summarize this. Look back on it for a second. These men were the ones who were in charge of ministry, music ministry, which included prophesying. They were said to be accompanied by those who played harps, lyres, cymbals, horns, other things that we saw. Men who performed this type of service were listed in this chapter. The sons of the Israelite, whose name is Asaph, were under the supervision of their father, Asaph, who was said to have prophesied under the supervision of the king. The sons of Jeduthun were under the supervision of Jeduthun, their father. They were the ones who prophesied with heart and who sang praises to Yahweh, giving him thanks for what he's done. Haman's sons were these men, Bukia, Uziel, Mataniah, Matania, uh, Shubel, Hana, uh, Hania, Jarimut, Hanani, Eliata, Gidalti, Tomamti, Ezer, also known as Romamti, Maloti, Josh, Bekasha, Hatir, Mahazil. These men were the sons of the king's seer who were given to him through a promise made by Elohim. He had received 14 sons and three daughters. From Elohim. So these men played and were supervised by their fathers. They praised Yahweh with music in the temple, using lyres, harps, cymbals, and as we saw, pipes, 
psalteries in the temple. The three men who supervised their sons were under the king. And all of their relatives were also trained musicians who were skilled in music, which they offered to Yahweh. In the, in the total context of that chapter, the offering of this music is an offering. They are making this offering to Yahweh. They were 288 in number, as we saw. They were young and old. Teachers, students all cast lots so that their schedule of duty would be assigned to them. And their schedule was divided according to their household. Now they cast lots among the 288, but if you take a look at the whole thing, there would have been obviously more than that. So there was some kind of organized way as to who could come down to casting of lots. And then it was rearranged later on. And this would go on in perpetuity as long as there was temple worship. Whew, I'm going to stop there and we're going to have our deacon prayer time. <laughs>